You're listening to Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Because if beer is proof of God's love for us, then coffee is proof of his mercy. Oremus, caffeine, come to my assistance. Put that coffee down. This is not a real episode of The Literature Guys. Coffee's for closes only. There's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> so without further ado, another Coffee Talk episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. Coffee Talk. Coffee Talk. Yeah, Coffee Talk. We got you on the run now. It's coffee been a while. Talk. I know. Coffee Talk, the last one we did, I don't even think we did one this season five, but now here we are. Yeah, well, we actually are sitting in the same room, and yes. we're actually both drinking coffee, and we're both talking to <sighs> coffee. Even though I sort of pledged to give up coffee, I made an exception to my rule today. So that the Holy Spirit poured from this cup into my brain. Is it a podcast solemnity? It is kind of, you know. You just have coffee when there's necessary important things. Yeah, you can't have a coffee talk podcast without coffee. That's true. It's I've pretended before by drinking tea, but... Mm, don't tell people that. The, yeah, not the same. Uh, but today, I'm highly caffeinated and full of all those chemicals God put in that obscure little berry. <laughs> Wait, coffee's a berry? Well, it comes in a berry, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How did I not know that? I don't know. Uh, I want to pick your brain a little about the, you know... Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. How did you know? I don't know. It's the coffee. I want to know how things are going, and I, I, I've i talked to you a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks, and I things are a little bit different, uh, growing better, you know, more fullness of what's going on, and, and you've been there for almost two years Almost now. two years. So... What are some of the updates? What are some things that you're working on? Uh, what are some things you want people to know about the Center for Beauty and Culture? Well, you remember the centers at the college, there are now eight what they call programs of distinction, many of which are associated with these different centers. So about 20 years ago, Benedictine College had a strategic plan. They wanted to grow, they wanted to start new programs, they wanted to thrive and succeed, and they have done all that. So when their 20-year strategic plan finished, they started another one. And part of that was to increase the intellectual vitality of the college, but also to turn the great riches of Benedictine College, which is in the small city of Atchison, Kansas, out toward the world. So part of it is called Transforming Culture in America. But it's also meant to be um, adding richness to the experience of a student on the college. So this podcast right now is an outward move of the Center for Beauty and Culture, as well as the Liturgical Institute. And um, one of the newest things there is starting something called the Angelico Fellows or the Beato Angelico Fellows. Oh, what's that? Well, fellows are people who have a certain kind of fellowship. In this case, it would be people who are interested and committed in the, to the idea of the Catholic faith being transmitted by culture in a particularly sweet way, which we call beauty. And so um, freshman who's applying, applies to the college, but then also applies to be a fellow of the Center for Beauty and Culture. They have a separate essay and some questions. You have to have a certain minimum GPA and test scores. And then when you do that, you take, among other things, one class with moi, called uh, Sacramental Aesthetics, which That's is... That's the worst part of being a fellow for the... Yeah, they have to deal with me. 
But uh, they learn the foundational theology of the role of the artist and beauty and the artist in particular as the imitator of God the creator. And it doesn't just mean visual arts. It can be drama. It can be theater. It could even be science if you want to talk about the beauty, say, of a chemical reaction or the way a cell do, do replicates. They, are there, is there like a community associated with this? Are they all, you know, in community with each other? I guess probably not living together, but the, you kind of the, they do things together and they go along this journey together. Is that the idea? Exactly right. So it's a it's a smaller group within the college that we're of, of like minded people. They'll have a similar understanding. We'll have uh, meetings and we'll have trips and events. And one of the nice things is they get a fairly substantial grant of several thousand dollars to use for a summer internship in the arts or to. Uh, travel, anything that could be reasonably considered educational. And that would be something, you know, you can't just apply it to your tuition. It has to be an enrichment. So you get improved in this program, accepted in this program. Um, you get to, when we have speakers come, you actually get to meet the speakers, have dinner with them. So there's close access to, to leaders in the field. And um, that's what it's about. We're also going to do a service project every semester to try to beautify either the campus or the city of Atchison or somewhere else uh, every year. And that would be... Um, a really nice way. You know, John Paul talked about um, beauty as an antidote to despair because when you see something beautiful, it fills you with hope that there could be a better vision of the world. And so there are some parts of Atchison that could use a little hope, even the downtown. Sometimes I saw they have these planters down there and they have rose bushes in them that nobody has trimmed in a long time. And I thought, hmm. wow, what if we just got the students and we just clean up the planters in the downtown Main Street, and that in itself would be a manageable way to contribute to the beauty of the town and transform culture in America by transforming Commercial Street in Atchison. So is this already in place? Are there students already in this fellowship, or is it going to start soon? Or uh, Not yet. Um, next fall will be the first time we accept incoming freshmen, but starting this fall, we will actually kind of recruit from the students on campus to, to get it started. So... Uh, what is the expectation uh, beyond this fellowship, right? So is the assumption that, you know, kids are just doing this to, I don't know, look better on a resume or something? Or, you know, what's the follow through and uh, the result of being in this type of fellowship? Well, the fellowship is one aspect of the center. I mean, the center brings in speakers, right? So then as a fellow you help set up and you help clean up, but you also meet the speaker. You get to talk to them. You learn what their ideas are about. Maybe they'll pick them up from the airport. If it's somebody famous, they get one-on-one -on -one time in the car. So there's a service aspect of it, but it's also a way to think. And so if you're a studio art major, for instance, in the studio art world primarily is about emotional self-expression and <laughs> breaking the form and painting with your feet. You know, it's not like that at Benedictine, but... It would be nice to say, oh, wow, as I'm an art major, an English major, drama major, a poetry major, architecture major, graphic design major, as I said before, even a science major, to say, oh, wow, creation reveals the mind of God. And as I go into my classes, I can start with this theological foundation, and hopefully it enriched the whole experience of their studies. Um, just from that foundational knowledge, then meet people who are speakers who might know people who could offer internships or jobs when you graduate. And... Um, Aside from the practical, it's just how do you get access to what God wants us to know as people who imitate and share in his creative power, and you make the world more beautiful. So what are some things uh, on the horizon for the Center for Beauty and Culture? What are some things that you've been working on? You know, I know you go around and you speak a lot. That's right. probably subsided a little bit because of COVID, but I know that you're kind of ramping up some of the, mm -hmm. you know, where are you speaking? What are you doing? Some of the things coming up on the horizon. 
Well, uh, one of our major events for the fall will be a live Liturgy Guys podcast on what, campus. What, 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 <laughs> yeah, what, you know about this. So you and Chris and I will come to campus and we'll have students kind of watch and participate, I guess, to a certain degree in our uh, recording. So that's one thing. And, you know, you might not think of the Liturgy Guys particularly as contributing to beauty and culture, but remember, cult, worship, and culture are etymologically related. So... The arts grow because we have to worship God. Where does music come from? Well, it's the proper singing of God in the liturgy, and then it, it spills out into the world. We tend to think that we compose music in the world, and somehow we cram it into the liturgy, but it's really the other way around. So that's one of the events. There will be some smaller you know, in-house events uh, in the fall on campus and in the spring. There's a potential for a big deal in the spring, perhaps giving our first prize from the Ooh, Center for Beauty and Culture. I would be honored. I'm so glad that you came on this <laughs> podcast. I have to check my availability, but I think I'm available. <laughs> well, sorry, Jesse, maybe maybe in a few years, but uh, I talked to this person the other day who has tentatively agreed to be the recipient, but it's not definite yet, so I can't announce it, but keep an eye out for an announcement about that uh, when the time comes a little closer to the spring. Any... Uh, conferences or things that you're going to be presenting at coming up as a representative of the Center for Beauty and Culture? Well, I guess you and I have been planning a trip out to Yakima, Washington, right? Well, that's right. It's for uh, what that's at Holy Family Parish. Hopefully we'll work that out and you and either you and I will go or Chris and I will go. So that's that's only one thing. I'll be actually coming back either in October or November to give a talk on the parish of Saints Faith, Hope, and Charity Church here in Chicago, Ooh, which is one of the one kind of, of modern but beautiful church in oh, Chicago about gorgeous. its architect and its history. So without my calendar in front of me, those, those are the only things I can remember uh, right now. All right. So uh, uh, what is kind of the stuff that you're working on on the campus there, right? So you're teaching with these students. Right. You're teaching them. Uh, you, you're doing some presentations beyond the campus. You have a fellowship thing going on here. What are some things that you would like to see on the campus that that uh, can contribute towards a better understanding of uh, the culture of beauty? The culture of beauty, yeah, okay. Uh, well, First, I would probably separate those two out, and they do work together, but you know, beauty we talk about as the splendor of the truth, uh, the attractive power of the truth. Um, you know, we did some podcasts on the theology of beauty, I think, in the beginning of season four. And you know, as Catholics, we want other people to think what is true that we think is true, right? Because we think it's good. And just forcing the faith on people out of um, you know, some impending threat, if you don't, is not really a... A, del a delicious way to accept it. <laughs> Eat this food or else is not like, this is so delicious, please enjoy. So to understand that the truth is more acceptable to people when it is presented in a beautiful way means that it's really part of the process of transformation of the world, of the individual, of the culture. You know, Benedictine has a great Catholic culture already, but there are people who come who are not Catholic or kind of marginally Catholic and they learn more and um, grow into deeper faith or they even join our CIA and so to be able to provide through the speakers through our service projects through the joy hopefully that our fellows have uh, you know if somebody comes to your house and beautifies your front yard if you as a homeowner just I probably, just had somebody do that the yeah, other day on Monday actually. and you paid them for it probably yeah. right but imagine like someone loved you and surprised you with mowed your lawn trimmed your bushes planted flowers and just knew like you wanted a front yard that was lovely and that would make you happy you can see how that beauty is actually an, 
attribute or an outgrowth of their love for you and they move their will to do something good for you and um it, it brings hope to other other people so hopefully there'll be the intellectual understanding but then there'll be you know real acts of service and understanding that can move people's hearts and minds i don't know if we talked about this before but you know you had been teaching master's level courses for 20 years right just about uh, just yeah just about and then you moved into undergraduate and there's obviously a little bit of a gear shift there uh, but i'm i'm curious as to you know your second year teaching uh, what what has it been like for the students? Have they been attracted to these topics? Do they feign interest? You know, that type of stuff. Because I know when, when you and I first started talking and I started learning about this, I, you know, it just seems like every time we did a new podcast, I just was like dumbfounded at what I was learning and things like that. And I was just in awe. I know that's not a typical reaction, but. Oh, no, it is. (laughs) (laughs) When you do it, right. Well, every student at Benedictine has to take three theology courses and three philosophy courses. Yeah, even the kids that are like atheist or Or, practice uh, another religion, yeah. Primarily came to play football or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And so, you know, the students vary from, they were homeschooled and they learned Latin since they were six years old to well, it's Latin, you know, I never studied philosophy before. And so the challenge always is to make this interesting. So when you teach an introductory philosophy class, that's a tough row to hoe for a lot of professors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have conversions of people, uh, I never heard of that before. I never thought about this before. So it can be very rewarding, even though it's tough. I, on the other hand, teach upper level electives almost exclusively. So the people who take the classes that I teach are really want to be there. Either that or they heard that I'm an easy teacher or something. Yeah. But, <laughs> so I've taught liturgical art and architecture every single semester since I've been there. Um, so that's, you know, four times. And it's always full and there's always a wait list. But people know church architecture and they know what they like and they don't know why some things are not pleasing. So they're really primed to learn. And maybe they've already taken a few theology classes and now to see it applied to uh, architecture would be something really helpful. I taught last fall uh, music and Catholic liturgy. And, you know, we have actually a little more time in uh, undergrad than we did here. Sometimes we only two credits here. So I got three full credits to teach music and Catholic liturgy. And there were musicians. There was a monk from the Abbey in there who's now in charge of the music. And so these are people who are very committed already and they want to know more. Um, Benedictine students are very eager can you come talk to this group? Actually, the marching band asked me if I would come talk about <laughs> beauty. It's like the marching band? That's awesome. Yeah. So they, we all sat outside and they put their instruments down for a while. And we just had a little seminar outdoors with lunch about beauty, even as it would relate to the marching band. I've been asked to talk a few times in the RCIA program. They call it Emmaus Night, so it's open to everybody. And, you know, there are nine faculty members in the theology department alone at Benedictine. And so there's such there's such firepower to draw from mm-hmm. that people just come to hear the, even if they're already Catholic. Yeah, we had Andy Swafford come teach a section and we just published this course for our online program. Yes. And uh, I thought that you taught fast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember the first lecture, you know, we say, hey, we're kind of aiming 50 to 60 minutes. That's what we I think he ended at like 35 because he just (laughs) so if you uh, buy that I would recommend watching that at half speed (laughs) well you know Dr. Swafford is one of these interesting cases of Benedictine you know he came there he was on the football team you know if I'm categorizing his own the way he tells the story he was kind of more interested in partying than learning about the faith and 
something clicked in one of his classes. I think it was with Dr. Uh, Ted Sri. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he had this great transformation. He started giving chastity talks. He was trying to evangelize the football team. And, and you know, if you've met him, he's a big mm-hmm. dude. And he was a really big dude back then with all the working out and the muscle and all that stuff. And suddenly, God was like, hey, I'm going to use you. You know, you have this kind of natural charisma. I'm going to use you for my purposes. And that's the kind of thing that happens at Benedictine. But just incredible intelligence and uh, in being able to relay and convey the information mm-hmm. about uh, you know, well, the class that he taught for us was scripture and the sacred liturgy. And right. Plus, he's a darn nice guy. Very nice guy. One of the nicest awesome guys. kids. He's definitely nicer than you. I yeah, I, I believe that. I don't know if he's n- as nice as Chris, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, so, well, that brings me to another question. Um, you know, again, got a couple of years almost under your belt. Yes. What is uh, the faculty community like there? Uh, are they kind of all on the same page? They're like, yeah, we want to do this. The, the president is kind of on this mission. I've heard you tell some amazing stories about yeah. the president and his morning rosaries for the students. And, yep. um, you know, is there a general communal sense that you're all working on this together in your different facets or? Well, you know, any group of human beings, there's going to be some disagreement. Um, and, you know, Benedictine didn't always have this strong Catholic identity mm-hmm. it's, you know, in the last 20 years, 25 years. And, you know, even within a bunch of other Catholics, you'll have different understandings about what's best. But I would say the, the range of differenti- differentiation is very narrow compared to other places. And so um, it's pretty healthy, pretty nice. In fact, we just got reaccredited. So there's some body that gives accreditation every 10 years. And the people come from other similarly minded colleges, you know, small colleges, religious colleges, so that they understand it. And they gave this report at the end. And they're like, we've never seen anything like this. Like, what? <laughs> like, You're kind of all on the same page and you like each other and you like this place and you like teaching and the students like you. Like, what are you doing here <laughs> that you can be happy at a college where nobody ever seems to manage to do that? So they got like unanimous and easy reaccreditation based on that in part. Yeah, I think I told you this before. There was a there was a guy that I knew in college. Um, his name was Rusty. He's now uh, CFR. He's a priest. And, uh, you know, when I knew him in college, he was just like the nicest guy. But I always thought he, that he was very fake. <laughs> I was like, there's no way there's somebody that nice, you know. He just came off. I, I've never met anybody authentically, truly nice. And then as I got to know him, I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's how he is. How can that's, that be? And that's kind of how I felt about Benedictine. I was like, there's there's no way, you know. But And obviously, like you said, this isn't. we're not talking about perfection or anything like this, but people leading other Catholic colleges that are, that are not interested in getting their students to live a sacramental life, you know, like Benedictine is trying to do. And so right. there's something really unique about that. And, and we talk a lot at the Liturgical Institute about sanctification, mm-hmm. and not just sanctification themselves, but, but all things can be sanctified. Yep. So if that's true, then a college can be sanctified. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the path that they're on, it's going to turn heads. People mm-hmm. are going to notice. They're going to say, what's, what's different about this? Right. What's going on here? And so that is the first time I've ever heard anything like that. And so that's a really cool thing to hear about. Right. And part of it is the vision of the president, but he's also got a team of people around him who are all on, on board. Now, President Minnis went to Benedictine years ago when it was in its 
probably. He was on the football team with Andy Swafford. He was not. I think he played. <laughs> no, he's before. He's older than Andy Swafford. <laughs> not much, President Minnis, but a little older. And I think he played baseball, if he said, or basketball or something. But he went there, so he loves the place. He's not just hired from some other college to manage it and keep the faculty mm-hmm. from killing each other. Like he wants it to succeed. And he tells about it when he got there. You know, they didn't have many students. Enrollment was going down. One of the buildings was completely closed. The windows were broken. The, the weeds were growing. The shrubs were unkempt. And he, he said he felt like you dropped off at some abandoned, you know, military base or something. So he's very interested now in keeping the landscape nice. When you visit there, that's one thing you see is it's a very beautifully landscaped college. Um, but it's different. He loves the college. He believes truly that he has to be in Mary's hands if it's going to succeed. He says it all the time. If we want to succeed, we have to give it to Jesus through Mary. When we had COVID, he sent out these emails asking people to join the Memorari Army. Memorari? Memorari. It is kind of a Memorari. <laughs> you know, would you pledge to say 100 Memoraris, you know, for the college, for the safety of the faculty, the professors, the students, you know, to implore Mary. Instead of just, well, you know, how many antiseptic spray bottles can we have around? Although we had those too, you know, we're not like stupid, right? There's science and there's faith and they work together. But that's just sort of his instinct. And um, and he's just a friendly guy. He's always around. Yeah, you talk about the proportionality of things a lot when you talk about beauty. And um, I understand uh, you were telling me some of the things that were happening on the campus versus what the city was trying to do oh, yeah. for COVID regulations. And so all, all the students had to be in quarantine and that uh, at midnight, that the moment that they didn't have to be quarantined, the president threw a big party and music. Yeah, and it wasn't just quarantine. It, people who lived off campus were not allowed on campus and vice versa because they didn't want COVID breakouts from the college to go to the, to the city, which is reasonable. So it did expire at midnight and the president I don't know how he does this, but he calls the band director. He's got the marching band out. They've got hot cider and s'mores, and he gave everybody sparklers. And at eleven fifty nine, he came out and gave this speech, and everybody cheered. And and you know those little things like making a party when you can. That first when we finished the spring, the fall semester last year was a uh, was it the whatever it was. It was a hard semester because we had masks and all that stuff. He had fireworks at the end to celebrate. You did it, you know, that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of that keeping people's spirits up. Uh, Not so much inventing traditions, but not being afraid of tradition. Mm -hmm. He had um, a plaid. No, not a plaid. It's a tartan. It's different. Okay. He he corrected me. Sorry, President Minister. A tartan is a kind of plaid, I guess, that gets officially registered in Scotland by the tartan the Tartan Society, <laughs> Tartland Society. And, you know, it has the different colors that represent faith and scholarship and Mary and the Benedictine tradition and all that. And so now people get the ties with the Benedictine Tartan or even on the napkins that they give out at events or on the notebooks and T-shirts and stuff. And so there's a lot of things like that where he's trying to increase the strength of Benedictine's identity, which is, it's a great lesson. You know, if someone's out there in education school and needs to write a master's thesis on how do you turn around a small, declining, private, liberal arts, religious college in the middle of nowhere and turn it into... There's a lot of identifiers, but I, but yeah. I get what you... I get. And how do you turn it into a thriving, successful, mm-hmm. growing intellectual powerhouse that's ready now to transform culture in America? Of the last 20 years, except for one year, enrollment has increased every single year. The proposed incoming freshman class this year is, is up 20% from last year alone, not 20% from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an amazing thing to see Benedictine get better known across the country. They have, uh, I think, they had students from 49 states two years ago. 
they haven't gotten all 50 in the same year, but they have had people from Alaska and Hawaii, but just not at the same time. So that's the goal is to have all 50 states represented in one year. Well, it's worth saying if you know you know somebody who's got children or you have children yourself and they're kind of at that stage in life, it's worth looking into. Uh, I can tell you there's probably about two or three colleges in the country that, you know, I my, my kids are very young. Agnes is only uh, six. She'll be six in, in August. But, uh, you know. Get her to Benedictine before <laughs> yeah, I retire, Jesse. We should start paying for it now, I think. <laughs> um, but I, there's only about three colleges that I've been tracking that I could say, wow, that seems like a culture that understands it, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And Without so, it being like you're clamped down by some heavy-handed, you know, right. Catholic police. It's There's a kind of free and easy, joyful Catholicism at Benedictine. It's very uh, it's very much like the Liturgical Institute, how we run things here. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. Absolutely. Dennis, thanks for sitting down with me. This is great. I'd love to hear all these updates. Benedictine.edu. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.